0: listening to why we
1: do what we do hello this is abraham and ryan O. and so this is why we do what we do welcome and uh how you feeling man
0: i'm feeling strong abraham (laughs) i'm feeling strong got my got my podcast voice on my radio voice as you call it perfect yes um that's what we
1: need so we need to hear. Yeah, I'm excited for this topic. So today,
0: what's yeah. on deck?
1: Well, let's start by I want to set this up a little bit. Now, obviously, if you're listening to this, probably you saw the title already. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of know what it's about, but that, that's okay. Um, maybe it, you're blindly listening to this. <laughs> it may be, maybe maybe that could be. Maybe you're listening to this in the experience of the thing we're about to discuss. And actually, I just I, I just remembered. How far can we go without seeing this? Uh, I mean, the whole episode. Okay, <laughs> for the most part. Um, Before we start, actually, I remembered that I wanted to shout out really quick, Uh, I met one of our listeners named Lisa. And so we were at uh, sort of a workshop type deal. And uh, she came up and said, Hi, I was in the middle of lunch. So um, I really wanted to talk to her more. And so Lisa, if you're listening, thank you so much for uh, reaching out to us. You had some kind words to say, Lisa, what is up? (laughs) I did not get to say
0: hey, while you were here. Thank you for being a Patreon supporter as well. Yeah. Yes. So that is awesome. Yeah. So uh, to the patrons out there, we're going to actually get our, our live streams going again. So if you guys want to jump in and interact with us in that sort of capacity,
1: that's happening soon. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Thanks, Lisa. It was a pleasure to meet you and um, and feel free to like reach out to us and say hi. Yeah. It's so cool to like have someone
0: come up and be like, hey, that was valuable, right? Yeah. It's very, it's very, it's, it's
1: surreal, weird, yeah, it is. out of body. <laughs> I'm tying it right back in. Yeah. Great. Okay. So what I want to start with is by talking about, just think about wherever you are, the concept of maybe what does the mind do when you cut it off from all of the inputs that it normally receives. And if you want to think of that in terms of brain, that's fine. Whatever works for you. What happens when we cut off all of those sensory inputs that we're used to receiving just constantly throughout the day? It's your brain. Sure. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. And another thing inside of this is in doing this, do we reach the mind or whatever that is—the experience? You sound of mind. skeptical here, Abraham. Well, I'm building up to it. Okay, it's all good. Okay. Um, it, do we reach that that idea of mind if we're able to cut off all those impeding circumstances of sort of our normal life experience? You should be scratching your 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 chin right about now yeah. as a listener, right? Yep. Yeah. Scratch your chin or your head or whatever is your like. This is a little weird, confused <laughs> face that you might make, right? <laughs> <laughs> that that emoji. Yeah. Uh, You guys picture it right now. I know you can. Uh, Okay. And then what what might you expect to happen if you were in this circumstance where you find yourself – um, exploring the, the cosmos and the environment. So I'm thinking specifically of like an astronaut, right? Okay. Um, and so uh, I'm switching gears a little bit. Sorry, that was maybe jarring. So I'm Sandra Bullock and I'm hanging out in space. Perfect. That was a really good relation. I appreciate that. You like reference. that? I do. I watch a couple
0: movies every year. Yay. <laughs> that,
1: was, that was a good one too. Um, all right. So if you're in this, this place, it's very different from how you normally are. It doesn't have the same sensory stimulation that we have normally evolved to experience. Right, our senses are particularly well developed to handle the environment in which we currently live, Uh and so moving into an environment where we do not ever live um, (laughs) is a is a totally different way for our brain and our body to experience to to be inside of that new space. In this case, outer space. Yeah, (laughs) that was lots of rhyming, (laughs) Um, and so. It also is worth asking, what about another species from maybe like another planet or something? Mm -hmm. How might their environment seem to an organism that did not develop the sensory organs to experience the environment that we are in now? Mm -hmm. Like that also might be a little bit jarring Um, and and maybe weird. And maybe it would be fine. Maybe there would be things that they could relate to. It's not to say that our environment has anything that's particularly unique to the universe, but it might be unique to an organism from another place.
0: Yeah, if you're out sitting under the stars right now listening to
1: this uh, after like a very long day, yeah, you're probably tripping out. <laughs> maybe, maybe. So I'm going to ask you to, if you can, our listener, whatever you're doing, if it's safe to do so, get into a comfortable position and close your eyes, close your ears, close your nose, close your ears, close your mouth. Yeah, put on headphones or something and try and Hot. remove your sense of gravity and the extent to which you can feel air blowing on your skin. Now, I just asked you to do something impossible, <laughs> um, but there is a way to accomplish this. And remember, I'm, what I'm asking here is in the instance, what's it like to try and remove all of those inputs that we have that we are normally experiencing throughout just, you know, having a day having a life and like uh, existing for a day. Right. Just isolate all those things. Right. Yeah. We're not I, exactly. So deprive yourself yeah. <laughs> throwing out our buzzwords. <laughs> so what are we talking about, Ryan? Isolation tanks or sensory deprivation. Yep. And they have some other names as well. Sometimes they're called uh, flotation tanks or a sensory attenuation tank. A little bit fancier. Yeah. Um, Or even just a float tank. And then there's also (laughs) like flotation therapy is attached to this idea. Ooh, Okay. Now we're getting
0: into something here. Yeah. There's a lot this, to is, this is what this podcast is about.
1: Yep. There's a lot to unpack in this and we're going to unpack it and we're going to put it under the microscope, which is to say, examine it closely <laughs> and decide what's worthwhile there.
0: Okay. So we're about eight minutes in and we're just getting started, right?
1: Uh, yeah. That's nice. accurate. Yeah. Um, and more like six minutes. That's okay. All right. So... Essentially, these tanks that we're talking about—it is a tank that is about halfway-ish filled with water, and it's like a saline solution, right? And it's not—it's a a tank that you get in and closes. Yeah, right. It's a totally, yeah, totally enclosed thing that you are in. So if you hopefully completely dark. Yeah, filled halfway with water, and also soundproof, like entirely soundproof. And so yeah, there's no lights in there. There is no sound, presumably in there. Water
0: and Epsom salt.
1: Yeah, and the salt specifically is in and in there to make it so that you float easier, mm-hmm. so that you don't necessarily have a sense of gravity. Yeah. You should just sort of be floating as if in like space, right? Yeah. I don't know how, how many gallons were in the ones that I saw
0: per se to be like exact here. Oh, I didn't check that. But there is a massive amount of salt in these things. Yeah. It gets in your eyes and they just burn forever. It's worse <laughs> than the ocean. Um, <laughs> if you have cuts or scratches when you jump in, people yeah. say it just burns for until it kind of goes numb. Wow. Um, that sounds pleasant Yeah right There's an insane amount of salt yeah. I believe if you urinate in it It's about 800 bucks of salt That they have to like replace yeah. Wow
1: That's intense That's what I heard From okay. somewhere on so YouTube don't, don't urinate in the tank Yeah Nord.
0: Or do do it if you want to no, don't
1: do it. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the water is also kept at about your body temperature or at least your skin temperature. So that, again, mm-hmm. you don't really feel the water against your body and you don't feel like your temperature has changed or anything. Again, the sensation should be that it's as if you removed all of the senses you would normally have. Yes. You don't have airflow, sound, vision, touch, nothing. Yep. Yep. And not even see the see sense necessarily things. of where your like arms and legs are. <laughs> yeah. And you've seen
0: these things for a long time is what I saw. Do you know the average length? I saw an hour to two hours. Depending. I saw a documentary specifically where they consistently were going for five hours. Whoa. However, we'll get time. into that a little bit. They were on on, on some substances and like playing around with some stuff. So that might've been why. I don't okay. know. Okay.
1: That is, sounds like a part-time job. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> yeah. Hang out in sensory deprivation. <laughs> they guy went twice in a day, man, 10 hours of floating. I can think of so many things I'd rather be doing with 10 hours. I mean, to their own, right? Yeah, yeah. And more power to you. Um, okay. So where does well, this thing... be picked up by like everybody that's into these. <laughs> right. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Well, there's still some stuff here for you, maybe that you didn't know. Uh, so where did this thing sort of come from? All
0: right. I found that there was a couple people that were all kind of experimenting at the same time and trying to figure out how to remove of our senses so we can study consciousness and these other things that are going on. Um, it reminded me very much of the whole Edison Tesla, like who did it first. Right. It sounds like, who got credit and who did it first for the one that got large at least was john c Lilly in the 1960s yeah what did you find abraham
1: uh, well that's actually that's i found the same thing was that john c Lilly was largely described as having developed this um, and there was other research that was being done on sensory deprivation things in the past that preceded this by quite a bit mm-hmm. but it was not necessarily set up in the same way or for the same purpose um, and we'll get into some of the research on this and so for anyone interested in learning more about John C. Lilly and the stuff that he was up to, I, I, we're going to do a brief overview right here. But um, there was an episode of a podcast that I, I listened to called um, Stuff to Blow Your Mind. And they did like an entire episode or maybe even a two-part episode just on John C. Lilly. And some of the research that he did, and some of his philosophy, and that sort of stuff. So, how was it? Um, it was good. It was really, yeah, really nice. informative. Yeah they they do they do a pretty thorough job on on that sort of stuff. Cool. Shout out.
0: I doubt you uh, you all are like listening, but if you mm. are, cool. Thanks. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and feel free to hit us up.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: collab. Collab. Um, okay. So uh, John C. Lilly. Uh, he was he became kind of well known, I guess, in the '60s and and that period of time. He was really interested in experimenting with psychedelic drugs and the sensory deprivation tanks. And Mm -hmm. his whole thing was to understand sort of conscious altering, mind altering states and understanding human consciousness and its limitations and what might exist outside of that sort of stuff. Right. All right. And so he had this maxim, I'm going to go ahead and quote him on. He said in the province of the mind, what one believes to be true either is true or becomes true within certain limits. These limits are to be found experimentally and experientially. When so found, these limits turn out to be further beliefs to be transcended. In the province of the mind, there are no limits. However, in the province of the body, there are definite limits not to be transcended. So he's suggesting in a way Mm -hmm. that what the mind is capable of is limited by what the body can do. Yes. And And therefore, like if you can alter or separate these states, you can do more, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, And... The implication there is that the mind is therefore a separate thing mm-hmm. from the body itself yeah, and tethered to it in a restrictive sort of manner. And I think some of the evidence for him for this is some of the experiences he had with things like drugs and, and things where... That it, makes sense. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of psychedelic drugs being
0: tested in these things originally, right?
1: Right. It, well, and it, it, what that does is it totally changes the way that you experience the world yeah I mean, and <laughs> and so this novel change can maybe feel like something that is uh, paranormal yeah or extraordinary or like wow i should be so much i should be capable of so much more than what i can currently do that these drugs allow me to do why can't i you know what how do i get more of that
0: yeah i don't know how i don't know real quick i like to look at drugs as if anything that affects your chemical makeup is that all right Sure. You, okay. Yeah. It gets, it's a little I mean, crazy there, but food, like
1: food can do that too, I guess too. Well,
0: yeah, it's kind of weird, right? <laughs> the lines are kind of crazy, but, um, I guess I didn't want to sound like we're like knocking on certain sort of drugs that we're being studied, like oh, yeah. no. drugs for us or anything that's kind of altering potentially that and then affecting likely your behavior if you're listening to this sort of, this sort of podcast, right?
1: Sure. Yeah. know, the point that I was just trying to make was that the dr- drugs can change the way that you experience the world, which, mm-hmm. um, one effect of that could be this, like, this is so extraordinary, right? Mm-hmm. It could also just be that, like, hey, I don't feel pain anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, sort of thing. But there, there's a lot of things that drugs do, and that's a little beyond the scope of this particular topic. Okay, so what's next? Where well, we at, Abraham? Well, I really tried to dig into the research as much as I possibly could, and there's not as much as I thought there might be and i like i wasn't even entirely sure what was being claimed was the like benefit of sensory deprivation or these isolation tanks right and so one thing that i thought was really interesting as I mentioned before, was that in the past, a lot of researchers were studying the effects of these low stimulation environments and specifically because they were interested in what happens to animals who are raised in like terrariums and in cages and in places where they have very low levels of possible activity and like stimulation and, and things that they could be doing. Right. And what they saw with this was that there was an underdeveloped sensory organs, like things that they would normally use to interact with the world. They didn't really develop very much. Yeah. Uh, The corresponding part of their central nervous system that would have been linked to the sensory organs was also underdeveloped. And then even parts of their body um, and their overall size was oftentimes smaller than what would be expected in sort of a normal environment. Yeah. And we know this
0: from other areas of research, such as just simply talking to your children, right? the yes. more words that you hear and interact with uh, can totally alter like a lot of different things. So it's not untypical, I guess, right. that There's that there's certain amount of stimulation that can start to really alter your future, course of action, right?
1: Well, and and in, in association with that is the activity that goes with that story, uh, that stimulation. Mm-hmm. And so I like to, I've been thinking of this like metaphor for describing how the brain and the nervous system sort of work as almost like a muscle when you exercise, right? Okay. So when you exercise those muscles, like in your arms and legs, um, then they get bigger and they get stronger and you can do more things with them, right? Mm-hmm. And even if you were to exercise them to the point of exhaustion, they might be temporarily a little bit Unable to work, but then they would be even stronger coming back after some recovery. Yeah. Okay. So, our our brain and our nervous system are not exactly like that, but I really like this as a metaphor because it's, it's better than approaching our brain and our nervous system as just pre-programmed for a certain level of strength. Okay. It's, it's, you know, we don't come into the world with a, like everyone can definitely lift this amount of weight the first time they try. It's going to be like an ongoing development that you can get stronger. And if you don't exercise, you can actually get weaker over time. And you know, there might be a minimum based on where you are at in that developmental process yeah um, and the same is true for things like your brain and your central nervous system mm-hmm. so the more you do with it the stronger it gets with the thing that you're doing yeah okay, okay. and so another f- reason that people were studying this idea of being deprived of senses were what what would happen is people who were explorers and were uh, sailors and whatnot if they were ever shipwrecked and they might be exposed to these like really restricted, and these like monotonously repetitive environments. So lost is what we're talking about here. <laughs> yeah, basically. Okay. Or even if it, if it was like um, the the ship itself was um, like if it sank. So this is, this actually happened relatively recently that a ship sank, but there was air pockets in it. And so people were just kind of stuck on those air pockets for a long period of time and they were alive, but no hope of rescue really. Okay. Um, so that could be a thing that happened, but even things like, yeah. and, and uh, Captain Jack Sparrow, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, it's crazy. the second and the third one. Yeah. there's you,
0: something you like you three
1: there. references in there. I'm very impressed. <laughs> so, wha- so what happens when I caffeine up on a Wednesday night? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, so, yeah, what they what we were interested in is what happens to these people when they're in these uh, long periods of time where they have these, um, like, very low stimulation environments. Yeah. And then they also see what... There was a correlated increase of this sort of, like, psychotic mental states, right? Okay. These people behaving very oddly, very erratically, seeming very desperate. And I mean, that, you're in an air pocket under the water. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. That's... <laughs> Sorry. That's no Whoa. Um, Okay, so... The, I thought that was really interesting that they were looking at, okay, when deprived of senses, here are all the terrible things that happen. And then, you know, decades later, it's like, let's deprive ourselves of senses because woo. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, Capitalism. Sure. And uh, it's, it's kind of interesting that there's not, like I said, a lot of research on this and even sort of what the claims were. I wasn't totally clear. But some people have made claims that this this isolation tank can mm-hmm. be useful medically for things like muscle tension or arthritis or hypertension chronic pain yeah and even pms weirdly. okay um and so all of these things were like hey if you float in this water like it's this magical thing that's yeah. going to cure all these things and i i don't mean to necessarily disparage like i mean
0: those things were quoted in our backyard here in reno where yeah. we're recording right yeah
1: yeah uh yes they are totally there are some here um, and, uh, and I was actually looking at some of their websites. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Okay. But, yeah. I'm
0: excited. Yeah. I dove into the YouTube culture as I do often right now in my life. Sure. And I'll, I'll, I'll riff on some of that pretty soon.
1: Yeah. So Joe Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. I was able to find some research and there, one of the things that they were sort of pointing out is there might be, probably there's a lot of things going on and it kind of depends on the person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that having a sort of normal level of um, what they call the mental state, yeah. right? So basically having a normal state of mind, let's just mm-hmm. call it that, okay. um, that depends on having a relatively um, normal contact with the world around you. <laughs> is okay. sort of their suggestion. Makes <laughs> but, sense? Yeah. I mean, that's a reasonable Logical. thing to Logical. Yeah, that makes Proof. Sense.
0: Where's the proof? Let's go.
1: And so that some of the people that have observed this sensory deprivation, what they have seen out because of this, or at least uh, correlated with this, was what they describe as an intent... Um, an intense desire for stimulation, which makes sense if you're being deprived of stimulation. (laughs) There's a high level of motivation for that. Um, And to be able to move and have bodily motion. So you get what might look a little bit like hyperactivity. Um, Apparently some increased suggestibility, um, which is kind of interesting. Um, Some uh, impairments in terms of organized thinking. Okay. And a little bit of a sense of being oppressed or depressed. And there were some, People who reported in some cases
0: just straight up hallucinations, delusions
1: and all that. Right. And just feeling, yeah, really confused overall. Right. Now, a lot of these studies were looking at things like stress. And so maybe this tank, this this weird thing that you kind of lay down in, it might be useful for people who are really stressed out. And I mean, m- maybe that could be the case. I mean, there also might be people who are like, I don't like being in enclosed spaces where I can't sense the world around me and that makes them more stressed out. But maybe for some people, this is a great way to go. And for some people, they did find that there was a decreased level of stress um, by after having used a sensory deprivation or isolation tank relative to people who did not. Okay. For some people overall. And they did find that it was statistically significant. Group study. Group study. Uh, worth pointing out that the groups in these studies were pretty small. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to do a group design study, you generally want to have a good number of participants so yeah. that you can get some good statistical analyses. And many of these studies that I looked at were between eh, about 30 and 50 people. Per okay. Group. Sounds low. I'm not yeah. an
0: expert in that area though.
1: N- yeah, it, it is. It is pretty low for trying to get some good statistical analyses, uh, going. Um, but also I don't know how easy it is to get people recruited to do a study like this. So that's hard to say. But another one that's really interesting about this idea of stress is there There was also discussion about um, depriving people of senses to do brainwashing specifically. And I think it's worth having a whole separate discussion about what brainwashing is. But part of what people would try and do when they were doing these brainwashing things where they were essentially trying to get people to behave in a very particular way, especially like under the control or command of another person Mm -hmm. was to do the solitary confinement and deprive them of senses and stimulation and and try and impoverish their sensory life. So for those people that were trying to do this quote unquote brainwashing thing too, it was low light, low sound, low um, anything to look at, low engagement with other people. Um, And, and so there was so similar, I guess relation there and that they actually found that that created a more stressful environment. Okay. So again, not a black and white thing for some people it might be effective at reducing stress and for others, it might actually be a terrible thing. Okay. Um, And so I had mentioned earlier that I looked at some of the websites of places around where we're recording in Reno, Nevada and the United States and, uh, and looking at, at one of the websites and they had this whole thing about how it was healing through balance as huh. I guess it's you're just off balance all the time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you wake up in the morning, you're, like, you're just like not quite standing
1: up straight. Yeah. You're like, I need to go to the isolation tank. Yeah, just falling over all over the place. <laughs> um, I'm just going to say, if you are, go see a neurologist immediately. I don't think that's, they actually meant physical balance. I think that they meant some other kind of balance. And yes, I don't some know.
0: metaphysical thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how one would actually be able to tell whether one was more or less balanced after coming out of a sensory deprivation tank besides saying, yes, I feel balanced. But yeah. that you know, you could say that regardless of what you have done. So so coming back to, though, there were other studies that looked at this effects of relaxation of people using what they were describing in this study as flotation therapy, which is the exact same thing. And uh, what they did find was that there was a higher level of relaxation for uh, people who did use the tank. Okay. that And specifically, this is in people who already had, they, they reported experiencing a high level of anxiety most of the time. Okay. Okay. So they did find some utility in this and it was statistically significant. Again, small groups, but there it is. Okay. Um. So I also found this, this, this big meta analysis study that was published in 2005. And they did also find that there was a significant effect in reducing stress. Again, thinking about what kind of people are signing up for this study. Were they people who were likely to be sensitive to the conditions of the study in the first place if they were willing to do it? Ooh, good question. Possibly. Hard to say. Obviously, they tried to control for that. But now, this was a meta-analysis. So, they were actually just looking at what other studies mostly reported. And they did find that there was a st- statistically significant reduction in stress for those people who did use the sensory deprivation tank. So, you know, there's something there, I guess. Okay. And um, they also looked at specifically it was either this study or another one. I'm actually not totally sure, but I think it was the study. Uh, They were looking at um, use of the tank for pain reduction. Okay. Okay? So especially people who experience chronic pain. Now, What they found was that for people who experienced more intense chronic pain, that they did show a statistically significant decrease in the report of their experience of pain. But those people who were experiencing more mild pains, they did not report any significant change in their uh, experience of pain following use of the tank or not using the tank. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was more useful for those people who had a more intense experience going in. Which, you know, there might be something there to understand. Now, for kind of a big one, another thing, I didn't actually describe what this is, but there's this uh, way of describing the sensory deprivation tank that is called the uh, reduced environmental stimulation therapy. Rest. Yeah, exactly, is what that spells. Conveniently named. Yeah. Yeah. Very appropriate, I think. It's as if you're ready to market this. And, uh, and this one study that they had, um, they did two studies basically, and they were interested in, uh, creativity and logic tests. And they measured this by what I was understanding of this was essentially a writing task. Okay. And so they had, um, these participants would either be randomly assigned to a group where they did have, um, a float, they floated on one occasion or they floated on three occasions. And so the presumption there being that more would have an increased effect on things like creativity um, and logic and that sort of thing. They also did look at things like relaxation as well as their general like altered states of consciousness okay. and the extent to which that occurred. And the overall take home from this was that they didn't actually see any significant difference in their um, essay writing, the, pap- the little thing that they had them write, mm-hmm. in terms of their um, elaboration and originality and that sort of thing okay. for the one where they did the one versus the three. Um, times where they they did their floating. So in the second study, it was kind of interesting is that both groups actually performed worse on tests of logic. What? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Pretty great, right? Yeah. And then they did do slightly better on... Reminds um, me of Dare. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) The people who went through that were more likely to do like drugs or something. Yeah. 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 Um, I was looking at actual research on that, but anyway, they did do slightly better on the test for creativity and regardless of whether they floated one time or three times, they had similar levels of relaxation, which was also pretty interesting. Nice. Um, Just
0: do it once. And you're good to go. Yeah. Save yourself uh,
1: 66%. Yeah. And so they did also find like there was a little bit, you were either more original, but um, in one group, but maybe a little bit more um, elaborated and real in the other group. And so essentially the discussion around this was that like there was Wasn't a significant difference that they were seeing. And I don't think I said, but in the second one, they were looking at a flotation chamber versus, uh, so they called it flotation rest or chamber rest. And so the flotation one being the water and the chamber one, I think just being some other kind of sensory deprivation or, um, some, some other type of group. Right. Right. And then they also had a stress group or a non-stress group. And, but they, again, they were really looking at primarily their writing on these essays and then deriving from that a, a way of measuring something like how original they were and then their logic tests and that sort of thing. Okay, so take-home conclusion from that whole study. Okay, the take-home is that there's not a big difference between uh, floating once and floating three times, and there wasn't a significant difference really between a, a flotation chamber or a flotation rest and the chamber rest groups. And they were mildly skewed where one group was sort of showed one type of difference in their writing and the other one showed it tended toward another type of difference, but, and they were statistically significant, but again, these groups only had 38 participants in them. So it was small sample. Yeah. So hard to say what the, what the results were. Overall, it showed that there was not necessarily a huge improvement in any psychological experience that these people had. And you
0: can sometimes find statistical significance in things such as dead salmon, right? Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> so, yep. See, previous careful. episode there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's understand exactly how this might work when thinking about psychology. Because we've said just sort of what are the outcomes when people have done this. Now we want to talk about what is the reason that people might have certain experiences in these tanks, right? Why do we do the things
0: that we do and don't do the things that we might do when we don't have the things around us that we typically have around us, right?
1: Well, there's a lot of questions (laughs) or a lot of implications. I think it it followed. No, no, that worked. Yeah. Okay. Now... It's worth asking the question when we start to understand what you are going to experience psychologically by starting with, what do you interact with on a normal day in your sort of sensory organs?
0: Now, like, let's say that one more time. Like, okay. let's just do a second. Okay. So what did you just experience? Yeah. Now, hold on. what did you just experience again? Yeah. Like what are all the different sensory stimulation going on? Pause, do it again as a listener. Like what is going on around you? Like that stuff just changes like that quick,
1: right? Super fast. Yeah. And just, you said a whole day. Yeah, You probably right? do a whole day? Well, I mean, this is all day, every day. What is your normal experience? And so, you know, th- if you're just sitting there right now and you can do this, try and notice something visually around you that you didn't notice before. Try and notice a sound that maybe was there, but you weren't really paying attention to. Yeah. Notice like the feeling of the clothes on your body that you're listening to this. Maybe notice the way like your mouth tastes and maybe a smell that is kind of in your nose that you weren't really attending to. Like these are things that we're constantly around. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we're really aware of them. and sometimes Sometimes we aren't really paying that much attention to what's going on, but they're constantly around. Now, then we switch sides on this and say, what are we interacting with when we're deprived of all of that normal stimulation?
0: Hint, it's not nothing.
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because it seems like it is nothing, but it's actually not nothing. Even when we deprive of those senses, we're not interacting with nothing whatsoever, right?
0: We're not in a vacuum, right? Exactly. It's impossible. And so the point... Unless you're up in space. (laughs) <laughs> Sandra Bullock, maybe. <laughs> then that's a different a different type of vacuum. <laughs> I brought it back.
1: Did you see that? You did. Well done. I'm like
0: butter, man. I'm on a
1: roll. <laughs> nice. That was a good one. <laughs> I like it anyway. I like the puns. All right. So what's important to point out, like I said, it's not that you're 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 not interacting with nothing at all. And what is going on is we have talked so many times in previous episodes about these things called cues, right? Yes. And another way to talk about this is just like stimulation from things like visual stimuli, auditory stimuli, tactile stimuli, kinesthetic stimuli, all of that, these things that are around us that we experience kind of constantly, as I pointed out and what I asked you to just notice those things, right? Mm -hmm. The functions of those stimuli do not necessarily belong to objects themselves, be-
0: Ooh, tricky! Yeah, I love this conversation.
1: Yeah, so it's the the effect that those stimuli have, those cues, those other, those stimulating events. They are not exclusively linked to stimulus objects and events in the world. So here's a good example. Yeah,
0: a, a uh, certain character, maybe in written in Japanese. Okay. Right. Yeah. Like that thing for someone that knows that language, maybe it's a symbol that uh, represents a dog. And you say dog. Sure. But for us, even though it's that same exact stimulus that we're looking at, the yeah. same cue, right? Yep. For us, it's not going to bring that r- sort of response out. Great example. we don't know anything about Japanese, right?
1: Yeah. That does not have the same function for us. Yes. That it does to someone who would recognize that symbol. And by function, we're saying it doesn't make us say, hey, dog or right. dogged
0: or whatever it is, right?
1: Yeah. The same uh, effect on us. We can maybe call it that. Mm-hmm. Now. And that is to say that the effect itself is not inherently linked to things, even things like our site, because you can imagine seeing things that aren't necessarily there. Uh-huh. And that goes back to a previous episode we did on Aphantasia and whether or not you can see with your mind's eye. And that's what we're of just thing.
0: dropping episodes everywhere. Kind of are. One. Yeah.
1: There are lots of references. <laughs> <laughs> lots of references. So many things, including episodes. It's fun. Okay. Now. We take these functions, these effects of the stimuli we've experienced, we take those with us wherever we go. Yep. Right. Because that's part of our our life.
0: Yeah. It's part of our history.
1: Yeah. And we have we have acted, we've taken action in the presence of those things before. So This is also why it's so hard to try to understand why people do what they do, right? Because
0: it's all individualized.
1: Right. Yeah. Because everybody has their own experience with all of those effects of those stimuli and how they acted in the presence of those stimuli that have then altered how they respond to those effects. Yeah.
0: So why you do what you do is different from what I do because of that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Nice. And, and, and the why, too. Like why I do it is different from why you do it. Okay. Yeah. Whew. <laughs> you following? <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully you're still with us. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot. Anyway, the point being that if you go into the sensory deprivation tank, you are not actually leaving behind all of those stimulus effects just by cutting them off in the moment. Uh-huh. You still have with you the experiences that you've had up until that point. Right, so you aren't actually studying anything like, oh, what are, where does the mind go when it's totally deprived of senses? You you are still, as a biological organism, interacting with what is available to you in that in current circumstance, and as you, as well as any effects that you took into that tank with you. Yes, yes, <laughs> and this is actually sim- unless you truly can,
0: like, who was it, John C. Lilly, right? Yeah. Unless you really can, like he was saying, separate these things.
1: Yeah, unless they can be taken apart. And just to say, I think it's worth pointing out, we have no reason to believe that those things can be separated. At all. See past episodes Yeah, everywhere. <laughs> yeah, and all, all the things. <laughs> now, this is sort of similar to what you do when you're meditating or, being, or practice being mindful. And actually, okay. there was some is, research is, about this too. That is huge. Yeah, huge right now. It's all over the place. Yeah, probably you've heard the term mindfulness uh, thrown around in some context in your in your daily world in some way.
0: Might have heard on this podcast.
1: You, we've probably talked about it here, <laughs> and this has been on like magazine covers and on TV shows and talk television. I I would not
0: be surprised if this is like a multi-billion dollar industry.
1: It very well may be at this point. Yeah. Or
0: growing by multiples of billions.
1: I know that there are guided meditation apps available for phones that people can use to do this sort of thing. Mindfulness practice and meditation. Have you
0: seen any of the social media apps that advertise all the time?
1: Uh, I haven't. Probably not. They are everywhere. I bet. Everywhere. Yeah. And I've I've heard this um, advertised on other podcasts that I listen to and other programs, like even I think on YouTube channels that I've seen where they have like a little ad about practice being mindful with this tool. Everywhere. We have. everywhere. Yeah. yeah, they're so th- everywhere right now. The point being that this whole mindfulness meditation thing is is similar to the idea of what's going on in a sensory deprivation tank in some ways. And some studies have sort of suggested that the, doing meditation has similar outcomes as doing a sensory deprivation tank, depending okay. on what your question is. Okay. Right? And so it's, it's important to... Just coming back to this idea, even when you're meditating, when you're in this tank, when you're going throughout your daily life normally, the experience that you have is unique to each person. And therefore, going into the tank is, is, gonna, is likely to reflect either your most recent experience, your most impactful experiences, or anything that is in that tank that does resemble some other experience that you had. Okay. Possibly if you were a person who was at sea. And you were in a boat that capsized and trapped in an air bubble for like three days and then came That's out a of a lot that. of air in that air bubble. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's just say it was a very large ship. Okay. And you weren't eaten by any of the sea life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so or let, frozen. In you know, the, or frozen. Yeah. From the, the temperatures and didn't starve to death or die of uh, lack of. Potable water. Um, so anyway, probably coming out of this, if you were to then try and go into a sensory deprivation tank, that might be extremely traumatic for you. Yeah. <laughs> because that would have a lot of similarities to a previous experience you yes. had that had those negative effects. Yes. And again, so that's just bringing with you those experiences that you've had. Another way of trying to understand how this tank sort of works and the effects it's likely to have is we know from research that. That when you deprive someone of something... It makes those things more valuable. Exactly. Yes. Yeah.
0: And it increases the likelihood that you're going to do those sort of things, right? Yeah. To try to get those sort of things. Exactly. Yes.
1: And so there has been some research to suggest that people, when they use these sensory deprivation tanks, when they come out of them, they might be a little... Overly sensitive to stimulation that they weren't sensitive to previously surprise surprise, right? So things might be um, They might be more likely to notice things visually than they were coming before they went into the tank and Auditorily and in tactile and mm-hmm. all of that stuff that can be Things that you might expect having gone into the tank in the first place, right? so It's worth at least acknowledging, like, why would we have the experience? Well, that's one of the reasons is that we know that when deprived of those things that we need to sort of survive and operate effectively in the world Mm -hmm. um, and those things that are important to us and and they motivate – they are normally things that motivate us to move forward or toward something. Yeah, yeah. Those things become more valuable when they're taken away. Yeah. (laughs) It's just – you know, and so uh, we become increasingly sensitive to them once they have been taken away yeah, and then we come out of that in the new experience we have is that, whoa, this world is like different from when I was left last, last year Yeah, yeah, in a way. not. And like, we also
0: know from research that altering one thing can alter a whole multitude of other things and cause this like chain reaction. Right. Right. And so it's not crazy that like one little thing like that you're deprived of could actually alter a lot of other things. Right. Sure. Absolutely.
1: Okay. Well, and I think this, this comes back to the whole idea of, I'm thinking about like the the purpose of this and we've seen like what happens when you deprive organisms of access to a stimulating environment and how negative effect those effects can be when they're for a long period of time. Now these aren't for a long periods of time, like days at a time or Mm -hmm. weeks at a time for some of, for like animals and whatnot. But either way that the, It's kind of an interesting idea of like, let's medically do this thing that's, you know, we're going to put you in this tank that's similar to what we might do if we were trying to brainwash someone or to uh, stunt their growth uh, psychologically and physically. And I mean, that's not to say that it's totally inappropriate or like that it wouldn't work at all. It's just that it is kind of a weird conundrum that those two things kind of coincide. Yeah. Okay. Now, another one, a lot of people have reported experiencing hallucinations in the tank.
0: And also bring up here in just a minute, the hallucinogenic... Uh, drugs or psychoactive drugs that people are be taking because I got a little rant on that. Okay. Okay. Now, not a rant, just more.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now it's like this this whole idea of like experiencing hallucinations. This is kind of similar to if you were to just close your eyes or to just be in the dark, and it's not like you are necessarily going to be seeing very vivid things that are not there, yeah, right? You might experience a little bit of this, and it probably depends on who you are and, and the way that you've developed in the world around you and, and various other factors. Mm-hmm. But it, just thinking about the fact that the photoreceptors of your eyeball are still active when you're in the tank. Okay, that's still going on. They're receiving very little input, but they're still active, which means that the rest of your body that interacts with the photoreceptors of your eyes, which is to say your brain and your yeah. nervous system and yeah. your whole body, that... Those are likely to be interpreted by the brain as noise and darkness, but it's not necessarily completely absent. And by noise, I mean they're still firing. They're just not receiving a lot, right? Okay. And so you might experience the fact that you're the the optical nerve and the parts of your brain associated with vision, like they're still kind of like, I want to say probing in a way, yeah. but it's still like, they're still, they're still active. Yeah. They're degree. still active. Yeah. yeah that, that And so therefore it creates a sensation or it can create this sensation for some people that they are seeing things that aren't there because the visual part of their body is still trying to interact with the world around it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I watched this uh, three-part series uh, from Vice called Sensory Deprivation Tanks. If anyone wants, anyone wants to check it out, it's in the show notes. Um, you also just like look that up, and it's on YouTube. And it also led me down Joe Rogan, uh, the Joe Rogan Experience. And he's got a YouTube channel and uh, podcast and such. And there was just a heavy emphasis on two things there. The documentary was shot in, it looked like, Colorado. I don't know if it was during the time of, it was definitely sharp, partially in Colorado. I don't know if that was when legalized marijuana was going on, but there was a lot of marijuana um, that was being used when it came to using these sort of things, usually in the form of edibles. And the idea was that these things uh, help you get in touch with yourself and help maybe separate the mind body experience, but it would also help like induce these sensory experiences that you were just talking about. And I guess my point here was, is that there's this whole different world that I found. And it seems like this whole market of, hey, we can help you achieve these sort of things. But nothing in there was talking about the research whatsoever. It was just
1: purely experiential. Well, there there wasn't much (laughs) research. So (laughs) now what's interesting, too, is that just comes back to the point of when you introduce some of these other chemicals that then go in and change how your body receives the world around it that that is going to also change the way that you receive the experience of being in a sensory deprivation tank. And so if parts of your brain that would normally be sensitive to visual stimulation are now being stimulated by chemicals that have been added to it, then that will change when you are in a case where you're not also receiving other visual input, right? So it makes perfect sense that you would have that. And I think it is not a scientifically or philosophically sound practice to suggest that the mind is therefore somehow separate from the body. We understand that there are processes that happen at a biological level and an environmental level that still account for that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so it's just, it's a more, um, a more philosophically sound approach to take, to look at what is going on at understanding this, the psychology of this. And, and what I mean by that is that biological environmental interaction before we start trying to jump to the mystical, we have this, other mind thing that just sort of follows us around and tells our brain what to do. Um, and I, th- I think there's a whole podcast episode potentially in there about talking about the full or the argument about the mind body dualism, which is what I'm discussing here. Yes. Okay. And so that actually moves to uh, really nicely into the last point I wanted to make on understanding what people have, the experiences that they have inside of the deprivation tanks or outside of them. Um, and, and one thing that people sometimes report is having this sort of out of body experience. And what that means is they feel as though they, who they are, in their mind and personality or whatever, has drifted away from where their body is in time and space.
0: Yeah, and this has hit a lot on like those YouTube videos I was telling you I was running right. into. The reason I'm so interested in those is like, they're they're from people that are influential um, to yeah. a degree. And it's like, we should step back and look at what's going on here a
1: little. Yeah, be careful. <laughs> and, and people do that all the time. But yeah. So, okay, why is it gonna be the case that someone will have an out-of-body experience, at least with respect to the sensory deprivation tanks? Okay, it's worth understanding here that our kinesthetic sense, which is to say the way that we feel where our body is as it moves around, it depends in part on our ability to respond to where our body parts are in relation to like tangible objects around us. Can you give
0: us an example of
1: that? Yeah, absolutely. So as you're walking, you have a sense of where your foot is relative to the ground. And actually, so the first time that I ever got glasses, I had the experience of the world shifted in such a way that I had a hard time walking because I kept feeling like the ground was closer than it should be. Okay. So I was like yeah. almost falling over. Okay. Right? Yeah. Um, and I've had that
0: experience actually because I never run with uh, like trail run and stuff like that yeah. with my glasses forever. Okay. And so when I started wearing them, it was like very hard when I had like sunglasses or prescription, like super hard to to judge just like, just right.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's a really subtle thing, but we get used to very easily and quickly calibrating where we are in relation to the things around us. And it Mm -hmm. doesn't even have to be visually. There are other ways that we do this as well. If we reach out and touch something, we have an idea of how far away that thing is from our arm. And we have, you know, an idea of how far our arm can go to reach something. So we get pretty good at calibrating how we move and navigate about our environment based on a whole bunch of different cues. Right, And so that kind of anchors us in a way to the, those cues and the effects of those, those stimuli so that we can easily orient our bodies in relation to our environment. In the sensory deprivation tank, those cues are mostly removed, right? Because again, this water makes it feel like you're floating, so you don't feel the effects of gravity. So that can be disorienting. Yep. You can't see or hear or really even feel anything for the most part around you. So that can be kind of disorienting. This is like the burn of the salt. Not right. Wound, except for that. right, And so that in and of itself, it kind of actually would predict that you would have a hard time orienting to where your body is in relation to the environment and start to feel a weird sort of disconnect. Mm-hmm. Right. And again, it's because you can't respond to any of those things, even those subtle cues you don't really realize are there. Um, and so... It, it's just like that. That's the reason that you might have this out-of-body experience is because you can't orient to the normal things in the environment that you would anchor yourself to yeah, in yeah. a way. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And, and it's sort of like if you have people who um, I've actually never tried this, but there's like those beer goggles you can wear. Okay. Yeah. I have not either. And what they're supposed to do is twist the, the visual stimulation that you get such that it makes it hard for you to walk. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's supposed to be like what it looks like to be drunk, which I'm sure is not really that representative. But what's also interesting about that is that people, once they practice with it, they learn to navigate the world based on those new visual cues and yep. they walk just fine. Very quickly they can do that. Yeah, really yeah. quickly. And I've also seen ones where what it does is it flips the image upside down. So the world just looks upside down to you. And at first, really disorienting. But as you get moving through it and you pick it up, it becomes so natural that it, you don't even recognize that things are upside down anymore if you if you practice yeah. that long enough. And I've seen the, the people do this. What's going on here is all of those things are removed. And so the, that experience you have when the world is flipped and it's hard for you to like navigate your world or when you have those beer goggles on, mm-hmm. that's what's going on here is that like you have trouble navigating your world without any of those cues that would normally tell you what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Dig. Cool, man.
0: All right. So where does that leave us?
1: Well, are you ready to sort of wrap this up? Let's bring it home. Okay. <laughs> so Abraham I think, and right over the win. <laughs> if you walk away from nothing else with this episode, I think that we can say on the maybe positive end of this that the sensory deprivation tanks or these isolation tanks, whatever you want to call them, flotation tanks, They might be an effective way to relax. Might be an expensive way, but it might be effective. Yeah, an expensive, effective way to relax. Depends on what they charge. And you said that some studies suggested it decreases stress. Yeah, yeah. There was some to suggest that that was the case for the people who participated, the small number that did. Mm -hmm. But it's important to point out that no research has shown, and there's really no reason to believe that there is any significant psychological effects, especially with respect to any major psychological issues you may be facing. Like, for example, a sensory deprivation tank is not going to cure autism. It probably is not going to change very much the experience of someone who's suffering from schizophrenia. Yeah, PTSD. Yeah, so... Anxiety. Um, well, there has been some research to suggest that it might be helpful for people with anxiety, but there are, uh, Might be. Yeah, might be. It yeah. might also be worse. Depends on the nature of the anxiety, really. Yes. Uh, claustrophobia would be, tro- <laughs> would be troublesome. There's here. a
0: lot more to do here.
1: It might even be better to just say, like, It's not that it's unlikely to have significant psychological effects. It probably, it just won't. Like it's just, it won't for for a lot of these major psychological issues. And another important point is like this whole idea of like, can we study the mind by doing this, right? The whole idea of can we untether it from those cumbersome stimuli that are sort of constantly hounding our brain and our minds and we want to unleash it, that sort of thing. Like maybe if it's like the men in black, like... You yeah. know, just like, then maybe it's like your fifth b- reference before man. you get in there. Right. But other than that, um, not happening. Well, and it's kind of silly too, because if you want to understand what the mind is doing, you want to study it in the normal context as possible. It'd be like, oh, I want to understand how a turtle moves. So I'm going to flip it on its back where it can't move anymore. And man, it's like, that's, that's a sad image. It is a sad image. Did everyone else picture that with me. <laughs> It's Poor right turtle. I'm flipping a peg over now, so okay, imagine go walking I'm feeling a little bit better <laughs> okay, great, <laughs> but the whole purpose being that like trying to demonstrate what the mind is doing, what your brain is doing in normal circumstance by completely cutting off the normal circumstances that doesn't make any sense that's logically a flawed you know attempt to do that. You might be interested in, in what happens when we cut off those senses, and again, going back to what are those people who suffer these really deprived environments. And theref- it makes sense. But when we're trying to understand what is the mind capable of doing in normal circumstance, well... Ta- this
0: isn't the best way to be studying
1: that. Yeah, taking it out of its normal circumstances, like it doesn't make any sense. Again, this could be fun, might feel pleasurable, might even have a mild therapeutic effect in relaxation and stress for some people if you're not stressed out by this type of thing. And if that's the case, then do it. Like, go for it. Go nuts. Just don't try and replace, like, well-established medicine or psychological therapy with the tanks because they are not functionally equivalent to good, effective, evidence-based treatment.
0: Yes. Agreed. Be skeptical, my friends. And we'll see you in the next one. This is Ryan O. This is Abraham. We are out.
2: You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why we do what we do is supported in part by ABAI's Disseminating Behavior Analysis Special Interest Group and our amazing listeners. If you like what you heard, consider heading to our Patreon account at patreoncom podcast. Anything helps, and we are continuously lining up perks and merch for our supporters. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at wwdwwdpodcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.wwdpodcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is Abraham, Ryan O., and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Broussier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.